Welcome to BitFace. This is Tyler Run TRG Glaze. And to my left, as always, Sleazy MFE, Eric G. Hollis. I know he doesn't like, you know, his gamer tag, but I like to throw it in sometimes. Y'all got to know who he is, especially as fans who've been listening since the beginning. On this particular episode, we went to GangasCon 40. We had a very good time. At least I think so. It came after a night of horrible shenanigans. Trust me, Eric kept trying to get into it, and we never got into it, but I was really bad off the night before. However, we broke some really cool news. We have Matt, who runs GangasCon 40 and Tacticon, and we have Tim, who runs rocky mountain con and they are actually merging tacticon and rocky mountain con so we're going into a very big gaming and anime convention upcoming in september i think you know you're calling me out on <laughs> dates and i'm not sure but we did kind of break that and i'm very excited that that's the first interview from genghis khan you're going to hear today the second interview from genghis khan would you agree was our favorite? I definitely think it was our favorite. We got to talk to someone who's been in the role-playing game community in a professional capacity for longer than I've been alive. So it was just astonishing to hear, and I know we both had a lot of fun with it. It was, uh, I, I hate to say this, but I've done what well, we've done, four cons now, maybe five with interviews, this is hands down, I think, my favorite interview that I've ever done, only because of how willing um, Sean Patrick Fannin was was there to open up to us. And you want to talk about a guy within two minutes, if you would have told me to guess his job, writer. He paints a picture so well, even in conversation. And I don't want to spoil anything in the episode, but he's working on a G.I. Joe-esque tabletop RPG and pretty much invited you and me and Bex and everyone to come play with him live. And that's got to be one of the coolest things that ever come out of us doing a con because you know how much I love G.I. Joe. I think it's going to be a lot of fun playing a G.I. Joe role-playing game-esque. It's not going to be, you know... It's not just that's how he described pen it, and though. paper, but yeah. we get I, I I forget exactly how he said his his uh, his metrics are going to go, but it deals with I think cards and some additional you know dice rolls. Why are we even talking about this? We can let them listen to the interview. We will be at Galaxy, Galaxy Fest. Fest. <laughs> <laughs> Tyler is not holding up a card, but he should have been. We will be at Galaxy Fest. This Saturday, all day, all day, we will be there open to close. Table will be rocking. Please stop by. In fact, everyone that stopped by at Genghis Khan, thank you, too. It meant so much to us. Just the random shout-outs and the people that came by the table, it really meant a lot. And Because Tyler was running on fumes. And, and that's, I mean, we Tyler basically siphoned a liver to get to the con this weekend. I was, you know... A little hungover as per normal, but more functional. Tyler had a rough weekend. That's all we need to do for an intro, right? You're going to have to cut all this crap. Not that, but... (laughs) Nope, we're just going to jump into it. Enjoy this week's episode. So we're sitting down today with, uh, with Matt. You're in charge of all of Genghis Khan, correct? That is correct. And please introduce yourself. Hi, I am uh, Tim Moret. I am the owner of Rocky Mountain Con. Which we had a very good time at last year, so thank you for having us. It's only the second con we ever did, and we left that day. It was, it was an absolute blast. A great job. Thank you. Thank you. It's a lot of hard work by a lot of people that are, are always involved with it, and we were glad to have you guys there. Thank you so much. Uh, either one of you can start by answering this question. It's a lot of work. Why do you guys do it? Um, 
I'll start out. Uh, now, from what I understand, you have to have a certain version of sadomasochism built into you. But mainly the reason why most show owners do what they do is they love the fans. Um, and, uh, you know, like Genghis Khan, Genghis Khan has had a convention going for 40 years now. Um, and so everybody has that fandom, and it's lasted that long. So longevity is definitely all a part of it. There's three generations of gamers here. I mean, they, they came, and then they had kids, and then they came, and then they had kids, and then they're here playing too. Um, so, I mean, it's, it's really about making the fans happy and trying to piece together what you think, as well as getting input from them, what will make a very successful show. And uh, that's kind of where you start, and then it becomes this big snowball that you hope you can still guide by the end of the road. Well, it seems like you've done a pretty good job guiding this. I mean, we talked kind of off-air earlier, and the turnout today has been amazing. And we've only been here today, but has this been how it's been the whole week? It has been. Um, Genghis Khan is a con where everybody kind of stays for the weekend, like because they have GMs here that are running campaigns that they've been moving up into that uh, you know that they started out in their their stores or their homes, and then they bring the finales here. So there's a huge buzz of excitement. And there's tons of uh, great stories going on, and everybody wants to see that conclusion, but it takes multiple days to get there, and so that's what they do. They plot that out over the weekend. 72% of our attendees are here for the weekend. That's awesome, and probably staying in the hotel as Very well, much correct? so, yes. Chief, uh, do you get people from all over, all over Colorado, all over America? We talked to a, a, a girl from Boston earlier this that morning. That is correct. That uh, she's here. I have a... A uh, 22 guy contingent from uh, New Hampshire that always charters a flight out here every year. Um, we have people from, you know, Florida, Alaska. I mean, last year we had a guy who flew in from Spain. Um, all, you know, because in tabletop gaming, um, the ability to see kind of what you would call a mecca of things is all about it. Now, normally for most people, the Mecca is Gen Con, which is a 176,000-person convention in Indianapolis. But we actually have one claim to fame, and that is we have the most Savage Worlds RPG games here at Genghis Con than anywhere else in the world. We even outclass Gen Con. And so this is kind of the big deal for Savage Worlds. The creator of Savage Worlds, Shane Hensley, shows up every year. We have prolific writers like Sean Patrick Fannin, Ross Watson, Bill Keyes, Ed Wetterman. All of them are here, and they all travel here, usually on their own dime, to come in and run these big campaigns. One of the biggest Kickstarters of last year on the RPG side was Savage Rifts, which was written by Sean Patrick Fannin and Ross Watson. And so, um, you know, these guys are the celebrities that are uh, that these people want to see. And the cool part is, is they actually get to sit down and play the games with them. And that's the big attraction. That's amazing. So what, what brought you from being a fan of all of this to wanting to run this, guys, besides the sadomasochism? I mean, because you're, you're sacrificing the weekend you could be spending here at Genghis Khan to make sure that all of the rest of us have a good time, and I know that's a, uh, apropos for Rocky Mountain Con as well. Well, I think uh, on our site for, for RMC, for me, it's giving back. I mean, I've been, I'm going to date myself here, <laughs> show all my gray hair. Um, you know, I've been going to cons since 93, I think, was my first con, and just that first experience, the people I met, the artists and stuff on my side that I met were amazing. I mean, I, I I went to that con because I was invited to play Magic. Um, and that's really why I went. And that's what got me into comics at that point. And talking to artists and seeing the, the way they do it, the writers and, and all of that. I've met people from all over the world that are, are close friends of mine now. And when I, you know, when I really sat down and thought about it, we all think and in, in, in when you when you do a show, you always think, oh, I can do it better than these guys. And it's, it, it, you don't realize how hard it really is, but it's because of the friendships that we have. You know, I've known Matt now for quite a while. Um, I know I can walk, I can walk here in here 
and I know the majority of the people in the in the building here and this is a gaming convention I'm a comic convention but I know people and and it's that tight-knit community and I'll, I'll be honest with you I tell people there are two very tight-knit communities in the United States when it comes to what we do one is Chicago Chicago there are communities very tight very good but I would put Colorado's and their their art gaming the way our geek community as I like to call it together outweighs even even the one that I would I have seen in Chicago for years that's amazing and uh, correct me if I'm wrong Rocky Mountain Con started out of a need to help the victims of the Aurora theater shooting correct yes exactly um we started the charity there. I was on the board for many years. I just recently stepped down um, just because the show has gotten so big. I don't have time. Um, that's, that's really the end. I'll be all of it. But uh, it, it really was. I mean, we started the show to try and help the community. It, you know, my biggest thing is, you know, it's for the community, by the community. That's what I live by. That's what I go for. And I think that's, I think that's very noble. And you guys obviously both come from a place of love to do this you have to love this to work as hard as, as both of you are working today um i will tell you that um eventually like the the most interesting part is when you're running a convention you had no idea of how many corks you have to keep underwater and something always keeps popping up that's a good way to but put it. it is it is an amazing experience when you have a fan that will come up to you and say, I just got to do X, and you know that you helped them do that, it's, it's a great feeling. I know that um, when I first encountered Tim, and I went to Rocky Mountain Con 1, um, when I first encountered Tim, Tim was you know, watching these things develop, but he was seeing this outreach of these people. And, you know, he, he I believe you you put the con together in about three months. Yeah, the, the first Rocky Mountain Con was done in, in just under three months when we put it together. So he, he goes in, and um, it was really by the will of the community that, uh, you know, the show even went off. Um, and But that's how great the community is that in three months they could put together uh you know this convention to help people and uh that was uh you know that that was something that you know always impressed me about tim was that uh you know he could go and and you know make that kind of stuff happen now then you know rocky mountain two and three which i also got to see in action he got to go ahead and you know really expand because then he had a year (laughs) to kind of get it together but even then a year goes by so quickly um having to uh you start out and it starts out with a hierarchy of needs and it's it's a maslow's hierarchy of needs but it's a convention so first you need shelter um so that means you have to have a venue and dates once you have that, then you can go after what's going to have people come in, which is, of course, vendors, artists, guests. But you have to have one before you have the other. And uh, then from there, it becomes marketing. Then it becomes outreach to the community. Then it becomes uh, trying to work with this person who wants to do this one unique thing. And the other hard part is also knowing when to delegate. Um, because everybody wants to come to you but you can't do everything. And that is why our staff is so important to us because without them, um, you know, it, <laughs> I would probably be bald without mine. Uh, Same thing. I mean, you know, for me on RMC side, we can't do the show without the volunteers and the people that come in. Um, my show, I can tell you, 75% of the people that work my show are family and related because I make them work it. Um, no, no. They do it because they, lo- they like it. They enjoy it. They really, you know, and, and I'll, I'll be honest with you. In my family, I'm probably the only comic book person in my family. Um, they come and help at the show because they love it. And they love the people and they love seeing the things that, that, uh, that we do. And I mean, at the end of the day, I mean, don't get me wrong. We like the satisfaction at the end of a show when somebody comes up and says 
we had a great time. To me, that means I did my job. Is, is it always going to be perfect? No. Is there things every year we can do better? Yes. And that's what we try to do. And it's a learning process. I mean, every year it's, it's trying to fix the things that uh, people bring to your attention. Um, the other thing is, is also uh, trying to, you know, keep your ear to the ground. You know, what's coming up? What should we be looking for? Things like that. And um, that is something that I think uh, that me and Tim have always very much emphasized in both of our conventions uh, as we have kind of looked at the community and looked for its needs. I mean, you know, Genghis Khan being what it is, um, it is always focused on the gaming community. It's always worked with the gaming community. But it's also somewhere where all the fans can come and really, you know, enjoy just the whole depth and breadth of it. And, you know, I, I, I would chalk this up that Tim also works very hard on doing that on his comic side. He brings in the artists. He has these, these guests that have made it to these lofty heights within the comic world. Um, but they always want to go ahead and make sure to take the time and say hello. Um, you know, we like to keep our shows where it still can be personal. I think that's a that's a key thing. When I go to a big show and I'm looking at possible a guest that's coming in, I try to find the guests that I watch. I'll, I'll stand outside their line at, at New York Comic Con or, or C2E2 and, and watch them interact with the people coming through the line. The guy that has his head down signing a signature and passing it on to somebody is not somebody I'm probably going to invite. Even though I know they'll sell tickets, I don't know if I want them at my show. I want the person that's going to shake hands and say hello to somebody and walking through the halls will say hey how are you doing and and those, that's the that's the show that i like that's the show i know matt likes is when our guests are really interactive and that's a key part for for our shows i mean you can go to any show and get an autograph from from big name people but to go home and say you had an interaction is a whole nother ball game and i i found i didn't get much time to walk around uh, rocky mountain con but God, the guests were, to your point, very excited to be there. I mean, I uh, granted, they're actors, but Margot Kidder seemed genuinely happy to be there and, and seemed like she was enjoying herself. And that says a lot for how you do pick the, the celebrities. I, I, I'm going to tell you a little story. It'll be a real quick one for Please. you uh, about Margot at RMC this year. We were sitting there, and Margot actually stopped me as I was walking by her table and patted the chair next to her and said, sit next to me. So I sat next to her. And she said, I got something I got to ask you. And I was like, oh, no, what's going on? You know, as a showrunner, that's our first thoughts. Let's be honest. It's the truth. It's, oh, no, what, it, what happened? What happened? She, she looks at me dead in the eye, and she goes, you have a lot of kids in costume around here. Can I judge the kids' costume contest? I had no plans of doing that. I had no, you know, the, she wasn't, none of them were listed on that. She asked me, and I, how do you say no? And, and I said, you don't, <laughs> we'll come get you when it starts. If you're good with that, we'll get you, we'll bring you over and we'll get you squared away. And she went over and judged the kids portion of our costume contest and loved every minute of it. She stopped. She was taking pictures of every one of them, you know, and they got a title belt from Margot Kidder. I mean, as a little kid, I would have loved that. You know, some somebody for, that you've seen on TV handing you the title for the it was amazing. Those kids are going to look back on that as a defining moment of their lives. And you have to get some sort of satisfaction out of that, right? Oh, that, that, to me, that's, that is what we do. And that's, you know, we want to bring that kind of entertainment to the people here. We want to bring those guests in that will do that. We want to have the people that will walk around and, and do that. I mean, we had, you know, at our show... The community support, the people are great. It's a family-oriented show, and it really is. I, I tell everybody, half those people in that room are family to me. Um, you know, That's how we have 80 local artists there every year that buy a table and come in and, and sell stuff and, and talk and mingle and network. So that that's what it's about. And uh, we, uh, to your point, too, we interviewed a lot of people that day, and everyone there almost mentioned, that's my dad over there dressed like Wolverine. That's my mom over there, you know, dressed like Polaris. That's, uh, this is my little sister that came to interview with me today. And you could, you could feel, in fact, one of the first interviews we did was, um, I can't remember her name, but she explained to us where Rocky Mountain Con came from. And I said, no wonder 
I can feel the vibe and the love inside this room because everybody's here not only for a good cause, but the community here, to your point, man, we have had nothing but good experiences. We've done, this is like our, our sixth con, and everyone is so nice and so kind and so willing to give up their time like you guys have been willing to give up your time today just to make it a little bit better, and, and I love that. Now, you guys are about to, and we'll, we'll cut this if you don't want it out there because this isn't live. You guys are about to collaborate on something. Are you, you willing to talk about that today? Of course, of course. Let's talk about that. Well, um, Tim and I uh, have had some long discussions, and we've realized that two good cons can come together and make something great. And um, after much consideration and, and, and whatnot, we believe the great way for us to move forward is that Rocky Mountain Con and Tacticon will be joining forces to go ahead and run our two conventions at the same time in the Crown Plaza September 28th through October 1st of this year. And um, the great thing about it is that both sides will be helping each other, but we get to both add the elements we're passionate about into the convention while taking a little bit of a workload off of both of our shoulders. To me, it's a, it, it's a no-brainer. Um, you know, the way Comic Cons are, are now and the way gaming conventions are, if, if we can bring the two together and, and really bring the best of everything together and provide an all-around show for people, it, it's amazing. You know, the gamers that are diehard gamers can come and just game. The, the comic side of people can come and just do that. Or you can do both. And that's where it gets amazing. And that's where it becomes a fun weekend. That's where you can have everything that you've ever wanted in a show that I don't feel you get at any other show. You know, when you, you have a great gaming convention, it's just a gaming convention. When you have a great comic book convention, you have just a great comic book, sci-fi, anime, you know, multimedia, pop culture, whatever you want to call it, show. You, most of us can't do the other side, and that's where we always run into that problem. I can't, I don't know the gaming stuff, you know. Matt knows it in and out. The guy's a master at what he does. This shows it today. It, it, this is amazing. This is what he does. You know, we can combine and we can we can provide to, you know, Colorado and the surrounding areas the most amazing show that they're going to get at an affordable price. That's the key. Because we always want to think about the attendees. Um, and like I said, the same thing. I, I am very passionate about gaming. Comics are not my forte. But Tim has an amazing knowledge and ability to really work with people in the industry. I mean, he's proven that time and again. Uh, being able to work with people, getting artists there like uh, Chad Harden and others, as long as, as well as the local artists that have really been taking off, Stephen Palawa, Jason Mintz, very, very talented artists that have unique styles that people just love. And, and Tim really cultivated those relationships because of his knowledge base. And so it, it's wonderful to me that we can kind of use our combined forces to make an amazing weekend that will have a lot of cool surprises. I mean, there's, there's things we can't reveal now, but there's definitely things in the works to give everybody that unique experience that you're not going to find anywhere else. Because um, we want it to still be the feel of a convention, not of a trade show. Um, we want people to go in there and be like, wow, I got to do this. I got to see that. And, you know, that's, that's always been the goal. And that's actually how the conversation began, is we both sat down one day, and we, um, I was like, I wish I could do this better. And then Tim was like, you know, I wish I could do this better. Yep. And as it turns out, sometimes, you know, working together actually helps us do that. I think it's nothing but a win-win situation for both of you guys. I mean, I talked to you guys for 20 minutes today, and I can tell you both are passionate about this. Combining your efforts together, I mean, come on. Like you said, no-brainer, right? It, it, it has to be for both of you. And this doesn't feel like a trade show at all today. This feels like a convention. I have the feeling when I walk in the door, 
like I got at Rocky Mountain Con, that I am going to church. Mm-hmm. And that this is my church. These are my people, whether they're rolling dice or playing video games or reading comic books or doing whatever. We're all here because we love this stuff. Oh, yeah. And, and that's what it's really about is, is the passion that, that people, you, you guys have, that we have for this. And, and it shows. It shows. I mean, uh, you walk around here today and you see these guys, I mean, playing games, talking about games. It, it's amazing. And, and that's what we like to see. And, and, you know, on my side, it's the same thing with the conventions. I love to see, you know, I, I, I can tell you I know for a fact five different books that have been produced out of meetings that have come out of Rocky Mountain Con, which is amazing. I mean, that that just putting people together and writers, artists, things like that together, you know, putting game creators together like Matt does, that's what, that's what we love because all that does is bring more things out for us to do. That's, that's a very good way to look at it. Um, no, that's uh, it's, it's phenomenal what, what you guys are doing. I know you guys can't spoil anything coming up, but any teasers you can give us, anything we can look forward to, because we're going to be there no matter what. True. Um, I'll tell you that uh, the VIP packages will definitely have a lot of new extras, um, some unique accesses that we are going to have. Um, additionally, I will say that um, on the tabletop side of things, we are getting a lot of new exclusives, uh, con exclusives that can only happen at our convention, um, and that uh, we are going to do a lot of collaboration between both events to make a cool, unique experience for all our attendees. On our side, uh, once again, like Matt said, it's going to be... A phenomenal experience with a VIP package this year, where you can you can have the best of both worlds. Um, I can tell you that I I've gotten confirmation it's a it's at the printers now, but it'll be out in time for Rocky Mountain Con. Um, a phenomenal phenomenal writer legend in comics Ron Fortier, uh, who does Mr. Jigsaw. Uh, we will have Mr. Jigsaw number fifteen come coming out before the show, but. It will be at the show. It is about Rocky Mountain Con. Is in there. Um, I make a comic book appearance. Um, the show. It, it so that's really he kind of did the whole thing where Mr. Jigsaw goes to a comic convention. It just happens to be Rocky Mountain Con. So that'll be one exclusive that everybody should stop by his table and pick up and get him to sign it and and, and enjoy it because it really is shows the support that we have from the Colorado community. That has to be a watershed moment for you from starting the con to seeing a comic book being made about your con. How I can tell by the look on your face how exciting is that? It's one of the most amazing things I've, I've ever had. I it mean, has it, to it, be. It brought me to tears when he stopped me on the floor and, and was like, look, I need to get your photo. This is why. We have to draw you in the book and we're doing this whole book I've wrote it already. It's based around the show. It, to me, that's just, yeah. I mean, every kid that reads comic books, whether you're Superman, Batman, Marvel, DC, Image, it doesn't matter. To see yourself in a comic book, that's the end all be all of it. Let's that be honest. It has to be a lifelong, like, I mean, couldn't even really call that a dream because that's not something anyone ever expects to happen to them. No, and and when it's out of the blue and it's by a legend, I mean, let, let, let's be honest. I mean, that to me is... Is amazing. So that's what we're looking forward to. Well, you've got me really excited about it too. And thank you guys both from just from Tyler and I in the community for doing things like this. We just started doing conventions last uh, last October. Rocky Mountain Con was our second. Yeah. And I can't tell you enough how well we were treated, not only by the volunteers that worked there, but every single person that sat down to talk to us, our neighbors, our other vendors. Everyone there made us feel like, yeah, this is exactly where you guys need to be today. In fact, will you stay longer? We want you here longer. We want you guys to do more stuff. Please come back tomorrow. And when we left there, I remember telling Tyler, like, wow, that was just in such an environment of family. So thank you for providing that for us. Because, you know, you and I are probably close in age. We didn't used to have this kind of stuff. We used, you know, arcades were seedy places with cigarette smoke and, you know, you'd be trading kids in the back corner for Mortal Kombat fatality codes. I mean, this has really 
the community in Colorado and especially Aurora, Denver area has been nothing but welcoming to us and anyone that's come to the convention. So good job, both of you guys. Seriously, this is wonderful. Well, thank you. And thanks to you guys for all that you do for the community. And, and we look forward to having you again this year at Tacticon and RMC this year and, and being a big part of that. Any, any final thoughts before we close up? I know, I can't believe you guys have st- taken this much time to sit down with us. I was waiting for one of you to leave the table at one point, like, look, Eric, I got to go. Like, I, I got to go. So any final thoughts? And we will definitely be, you, we g- gave us the dates. Can we get those one more time? Because we definitely need to get those out there. September 28th through October 1st. Of course, Tacticon being the four-day gaming convention that it is will go off first, but that also means some cool surprises on the RMC side can start getting into place. Mm. So you definitely want to stay tuned, keep your ear to the ground. We will be having a lot more announcements coming up and a lot more collaborations to come. And you guys know here on BitFaced, as soon as I hear things through the rumor mill, you guys are going to hear them from me. And uh, and, and we're pretty, pretty connected, so we're really looking forward to it. In fact, we have only booked three cons this year. This is uh, first, next week in Galaxy Fest, and then DCC. But uh, RMC, Tacticon... Bitface will be there, guys. I will promise you that. In fact, as soon as I get home tonight, it's calendar time, buddy. We got to uh, <laughs> we got to figure it out. But you know, we planned on doing Rocky Mountain Con anyway after the we experience did. we had last year. So absolutely. Okay. And anybody, anytime you guys want to send anybody over to uh, to talk to us, we fully appreciate everything you guys do for us. And uh, man, you know, like I, I hate to quote Dave here, but man, we're gonna we're gonna share the love. That's what we're gonna do. So thank you guys so much for coming by today. This will probably go up next week we'll make sure to tag uh, anything and if there's anything you want to send our way please do that guys we have no problem promoting anything going on you guys you guys love the community and we love it too awesome thanks, thanks a lot guys. guys thank you guys so much so you were the first guest we've ever had on BitFaced I've heard your name thrown around during multiple interviews I've done today so you must be a pretty special dude <laughs> thank you that's extremely kind um I've been doing the RPG writing and design stuff uh, since 1986, uh, and I actually started playing Dungeons and Dragons the first time there was a game called Dungeons and Dragons, 1977. Uh, so I kind of go back, <laughs> I guess, a ways, and after uh, a lot of crazy turns and twists in my life, uh, I finally got convinced to try writing and designing professionally. So. Uh, you know, I did a bunch of stuff for the fourth edition Champions era. That's really where my career started. Uh, seriously, did a book called High Tech Enemies that kind of took off and got some attention. I uh, became uh, the continuity editor because I, I I learned what the continuity of the Champions universe was. They were actually trying to take it from just a bunch of random books and turn it into a, a world. And Monty Cook uh, at the time was working with Iron Crown, who was the publisher of Champions, and you know, he wanted me to get involved in. Uh, uh, helping do the Champions Universe book, and I delved into a lot of research. So the original Heroes guys were like really excited about me becoming a caretaker, a custodian of that. So world building, storytelling, immersing characters in cross-linked stories became sort of a, a passion of mine as a, a writer and designer, and it sort of carried through in everything else that I did. I, I think I've probably done more Game Master advice sections in role-playing books than anybody in the industry possibly, because I did a bunch for White Wolf. I did. Uh, I did one for actually of all things Creatures Anathema for Dark Heresy because uh, my buddy Ross Watson uh, who's also currently a partner in Evil Beagle though he's moving on to a new opportunity here in March uh, which we wish him well on because it's going to be really awesome for him I can't wait for you guys to find out what that is in fact if you can get hold of Ross Watson before uh, the show before the convention's over you really should uh, he's a good okay. he'd be a good guy to talk to he's got a huge history with uh, Warhammer 40k uh, uh, history I'm a huge fan of Warhammer yeah. 40k so, so he was the guy in charge of the Dark Heresy line uh, at Fantasy Flight and uh, he also has just done a bunch of computer game you know writing work because he's so well known for his knowledge of the of, 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 the, of that world uh, so anyway <clears throat> kind of got a rough ramble there but um, that's I, what I, we do here I, I suppose I'm known for the Fantasy Role Playing Gamers Bible which was everything you want to know about gaming but thought you'd be a geek if you asked uh, I wrote that uh, and it was published in 95 and then we did another version in 99 and I got to know the whole industry. I think everybody jokes about my superpowers that I know everybody in gaming. Um, I think that's part of it. Uh, I'm also shameless. I have absolutely no sense of shame or, or embarrassment. Uh, and, and so uh, you know, I use that to, to try to promote all the stuff that I do, but I also use it to try to promote everybody else's stuff. So I'm, I'm pretty well known for my Sean's Pick of the Day dot, dot com site, uh, which is a, where I promote people's other people's products. I talk about my stuff too, but... 
um, I do some writing for Ian World. Um, I, I think most recently people are going to know me because of, well, Shintar, which is the epic high fantasy setting for Savage Worlds, and all my Savage Worlds work. I'm, I'm pretty well known for Savage Worlds right now. Uh, so that was a, a big thing that I did that people were really excited about. And then I think the, the piece de resistance is uh, Savage Rifts, which was taking the everything and anything, including a weaponized kitchen sink setting of 1990 with its very involved rule set. Uh, those who know the, the game know the Palladium system know what I'm talking about. And digging that and actually turning it into a workable Savage Worlds iteration with, with balance, uh, with the possibility of being able to play any of the characters that you could have played in original Rifts and they're balanced with each other. Hardest design work of my life. I mean, just beyond challenging, but really rewarding too. And we had an incredibly successful Kickstarter. I think it's like in the top five for RPGs. So uh, that kind of got some attention. <laughs> no kidding. And I'm, I'm lucky to be with Pinnacle Entertainment. I'm wearing their shirt tonight, as a matter of fact. Uh, I'm their brand manager for the Savage Rifts line. Uh, I get to work with the core team and, and give some advice and, and ideas on the, on the core rules and stuff like that. Some amazing people. Shane Hensley is one of my best friends in the world. And uh, so there's that. I, I, right now I'm working on something that people are pretty excited about called Freedom Squadron, which is a love letter to G.I. Joe, but it's like all the file numbers, uh, all the serial numbers filed off. There's a board game out by Spyglass Games. Uh, they're a local company. You guys should definitely get with them. Uh, Michael Knight and Jeff Arbro. Uh, they did Venom Assault, and the Kickstarter it was very successful. It is an, a very intriguing. It's, it's a, a deck-building cooperative board game with a dice mechanic, which sounds like it'd be like, what the, you know. Uh, and I, I kind of was, but when I saw it, I was like, whoa, I got I to gotta get in on this. And I got to know the guys. And uh, when I suggested that it would make a great role-playing setting and it would be a great way to do a G.I. Joe-type RPG without having to deal with Hasbro, uh, boom. So that's a thing now. We've actually signed the contract on that, and uh, I've already been doing some serious design work. I actually have a Patreon going on right now uh, where people who are involved with the Patreon are getting the inside track. They're going to actually see all the advanced rules. They're going to see, you know, advanced characters uh, and things like that. So, um, you know, so Sean Patrick Fennett's Patreon. Hey, you know, we're going to kind of see some cool stuff. Actually, I got to be sure that if you're if you're actually, you know, giving me money, I'm giving you stuff, and people are going to actually be able to put characters into the books. So they'll be, you know, be able, at certain levels, will be able to put bad guys into the books or their own hero or something. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, I'm a GM at a convention. My voice may be going a little bit. Uh, <laughs> We don't know anything about that. Yeah, I, no kidding. Because I run too many games. <laughs> Excuse me, I had to get something big there. Um, uh, absolutely. But uh, the Freedom Squadron thing has been very exciting. I, I've debuted it here. And, uh, well, actually, I debuted it at a Gamers Giving charity event last weekend. Um, and Gamers Giving is a great organization you guys should be talking to. Uh, let, me put, let me pimp that a couple of times. Because the Colorado Gamers Charity community is incredible. We have work together you know, you know tens of thousands of dollars to local uh, to, lo to people who are in need locally and it's just been amazing to be a part of that but I debuted the Freedom Squadron stuff there the the real key is not just is it you're getting to play Savage Worlds you're going to play G.I. Joe type you know cool characters with cool abilities and stuff but I, I've developed a rule set that I'm calling Plans and Operations if you've ever do you guys game? Um, a lot of video yeah. Played my first tabletop in 20 years two weeks ago. Okay, all right. What about you? So I do a lot more um, gaming, but I have not played a lot recently. So my brother is a he's a he's a GM for lots of different tabletops. We tend to go between. Gosh, right now he's written a campaign for for Dungeons and Dragons Five. Um, that he wants me right. to play with him, right. and uh, and other than that, we we play some stuff like Pathfinder. So D and D five brought me back to the table. Let me highly recommend you guys try some other game systems, uh, yeah. especially Savage Worlds. Obviously, if you, yeah. you get a chance to get into the Savage Worlds tonight, tonight, uh, I think you'll have a good time with it. Tell me a little bit about Savage Worlds because I'm not familiar with the title. <clears throat> well, that's it, 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 it. Always confuses me. It's like this is like the third most popular game system in the world right now. I mean, next to Pathfinder and the D and D suite. Uh, you know, there's a lot of product out there, and it, it, it does incredibly well. I mean, some people will argue the numbers, but it's certainly in the top five. Um, and it is, uh, it's just, it's, it, it's tagline for the core rules is fast, furious, and fun. So it was designed specifically to uh, to facilitate easier getting in, you know, quick. I, I can see what's going on. I understand that, you know, easy character sheet, some simple simple abilities. You know, combat goes quickly, but it's also just really exciting. Um, you know, it, it kind of has the the, uh, the pulp kind of thing going on. 
Archie, Dave, keep banging on the table, dude. <laughs> you keep he, banging he, on the table. He can't hear it. <laughs> uh, yeah. We can, though. Uh, yeah, man, he's going boom, boom. I, re- I remember my, my first con, Dave. <laughs> it's just like thundering in the in the headphones here. These are good headphones. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, or maybe it's a good mic. I don't know. Um, but anyway, um, uh, so so you have you have traits like just like five: strength, agility, vigor, um, smarts, and spirit. And they're rated in, in a die type, so D4 through D12. And then you get to roll a wild die. That's just an extra cool thing. And so that's how you roll stuff, right? And and everything's kind of based on a very simple paradigm. But uh, it, it's 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 integrated nicely. To uh, to facilitate very cinematic style gaming, cinematic action movie style gaming, pulp style gaming. Although you can twist the dials a little bit and make it very gritty and very deadly, very horror oriented. Shane loves his horror. Uh, you know, this is all uh, kind of evolved from Deadlands. The original Deadlands had a a, a die type uh, system for for the attributes back then and how and how you did skill rolls and stuff too. So they just boiled that down to a simpler iteration, and that became Savage Worlds. So um, I was saying something along those lines, and we kind of devolved, devolved off into that. But oh, so what I was talking about is if you've if you've been involved with games, you might know that you know one of the things that can happen in a game is you're it's like okay, so we've got a situation, and we're all going to just sort of here sit here and kind of argue and discuss and and cajole and whatever a plan of some kind. We want to do a mission, you know, we're going to go do a, a kind of an operation. Maybe we want to do a heist. Right, so people have it in their heads that they want to do it like you see in the movies and the television shows, like Leverage Television Show, or or the A Team movie where you know they, they're all around a table and then it flashes forward and you see them doing the cool things, and they're in, they're enacting this cool mission. And RPGs want to simulate that, but it, it, it can be difficult. So one of the things I've been kind of chasing after the white stag I've been hunting for decades, quite frankly is a, 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 a set of rules, a, play, a gameable way to do that, that really facilitates uh, making, it, making the, the, the GM's job easier in trying to, to run a mission or a plan or a heist or something, and, and kind of directs the players with some specific, like, okay, you know, here's this part of the mission that needs to be done. It's a challenge within the mission to be done, uh, and it tells you what kind of skills you're going to need to overcome the challenge, but at the same time, it empowers the players to be very engaged with the narrative. They get to tell a story about what happens. So you know the overall mission is like, okay, we got to track down these control cubes that go with this ancient alien artifact. And uh, you know, it, uh, the, the the current system, you know, I use uh, I use just playing cards. And uh, you do start with two cards, and then there'll be three cards in the next round, and then four cards in the, on the final round. And the suit of the card indicates what kind of challenge it is. So hearts would be interaction, your face you know, characters, right? Um, diamonds would be covert, so your stealth and your lock picking and, and things along those lines. Uh, spades is tactical, so that might be straight up combat abilities or driving or piloting or just some physical ability of some kind. And uh, clubs is science and technology or maybe you know just knowledge and occultism or whatever is appropriate. And then the card value, if it's a really low, it's going to indicate that it's harder to do with challenging aspects. And if it's a high, you know, like a, a king or whatever, you might have a bonus. So these cards lay a specific, easy to, to grasp, you know, you know, bite-sized chunk. But then the players figure out, okay, you know, who's going to take the lead on that? And then they're going to figure out what their primary skill is they're going to get to roll. And then everybody else is going to decide if they're going to back them up on that or, or do something else. And then once everybody figures out what they're doing, and then you make the roll and see how well you did, you get some number of successes, then the players work with the GM and there's a storytelling element. So what was that scene? Let's talk about what happened. Where did you go? Well, I went to Taiwan and I hunted down the, this old contact I had. And I had to chase him down an alleyway, which is why you know, Sabrina used her, her fighting skill to like knock out a couple of guys who were trying to catch him. And then I used my social skill, my streetwise skill, to get the information. That's, you know, so they get to tell the story. And That's really interesting. So basically, you're taking, instead of the idea of playing through all of these events, you want that to kind of happen up front and then be told. Well, it, 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 it simplifies it, right? Because yeah. you, you only have so much time to play, right? And, and everybody still wants to do like the cool boss fight. They still want to go into the place where you put your miniatures in, and, sure. and there's the bad guys' miniatures and all that kind of stuff, and there's like a, a big boss fight or something. Yeah. Uh, it's an, you know, when I, I run very action games, so you know, there's that. Um, but in this way, this, this simplifies, but at the same time, it also allows a lot of creative detail, in it, but not in terms of just tons and tons and tons of dice rolls, a few dice rolls, 
that then help you tell the story. And then everybody gets a chance also, the biggest thing is everybody gets a chance to use all those skills that are on their character sheet that should be on those character sheets, but they get frustrated because they never get to use them. It's like I, I, I took knowledge, you know, biology, and I never get to use my knowledge biology. Well, this system means you could be the star of this particular scene or a couple of scenes because your knowledge biology is the primary skill that needs to be, you know, needs to get the team through and get the information they need. So it brings out all those skills that you know, don't always always get to be played, and the, and the combat gods are still going to get to be combat gods when the combat's on, but they're mostly, you know, they're helping the other guys do all the other cool stuff they're doing, so it solves a lot of problems all at once, and I'm really excited about this, I'm, just, I'm glad you guys let me kind of go on about that. Yeah. Oh, no, I mean, the fact that normally a campaign, the DM writes the story, you're letting the players help you dictate the story, that's phenomenal. Yeah, yeah. And How did you come up with this? Well, I'm not going to say I'm doing it in a vacuum. Thank you very, very much for the kind words. Um, you know, you've got these very storytelling narrative type games already <clears throat> that are out there. They're very popular. Um, Apocalypse World Engine goes there. Uh, Fate is famous for that. Uh, so we're, we all borrow from each other, right? You know, it's, it's, it's this ebb and flow of ideas. But Savage Worlds is a little crunchier, right? So it's a, a, we, we, you have stats and you have dice and you roll. But we're all evolving our systems. So Savage Worlds is popular because it is a game where, you know, I can, it's pretty easy for me to get the miniature on the table and see the cool combat scenes. But adding these elements, these influences in from the, the narrative type games, I mean, when Shane played this, um, Shane Hensley, by the way, is the owner of Pinnacle Entertainment. He's the original designer of Savage Worlds. Um, he actually played uh, Friday Night. And he, he said basically flat up, he said, you've basically added uh, a very fate-like element to Savage Worlds and it works. And that's cool. You know, that's, you know, that, that's not going to upset the black hat guys uh, at all. They're going to think that's really cool because we all borrow from each other all the time. Uh, we all like to, you know, learn from each other's successes and, and try to incorporate what somebody else did that was really cool. So that's, I was influenced by really great guys. I, we all stand on the, on the shoulders of giants and we all help each other. So, but in terms of the specifics uh, of, of this, you know, the, the specific way to make this work under Savage Worlds, like I said, I've been chasing this one for a while. Uh, I, I, there's a, a, a small thing out there that a lot of people really like called Day in the Life, which was sort of a, a way to do a way to game the downtime, is what I called it. Which was you know all the things that your character might want to do, investigations or court someone or just go out carousing, and it was a way to make that game playable. And so I, I did some design work that you know was part of that, and then I did some other things like this big epic charity game I ran with like 30 something players plus another 10 players online. And I, I had to come up with a way to handle some of the stuff that led up to the giant battle, and I called it Enterprises Undertaking. So I've been tinkering with this idea for a while, and then you, know, you just sort of hit upon uh, uh, an idea, just, just like this one moment. It's like, oh, wait, the cards. If I use the cards, that's going to make the GM's job a lot easier. And it's also going to stand as a visual cue to the players. They can look at that card, and they can put their figure on the card saying, that's what I'm doing. And that can become the, the, the focus point to build from. And so it becomes that. And the idea is to gamify it, right? Because it's still a game. We're still, you know, we're not just playing pretend. We are playing a game. So by mixing the elements of gameplay and, 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 and to the person who was there to play a game sees a game in front of them. But that game play then also allows them to tell a story, which is kind of what role playing is ultimately supposed to be. Uh, this is just an enhancement of that idea. So, you know, all I've done is take a, a, a thing that frequently two or three alpha gamers would sit there arguing and yelling while everybody else is sitting there just looking at their phone waiting for the argument to get over with. Um, or, you know, just sort of this messy, okay, so this is what we're going to do, and then everyone else has to basically sit around and wait while the computer hacker character gets a, a long, drawn-out scene of a bunch of die rolls to do their computer hacking. Or, you know, okay, we're going to do a research thing. Dude's researching. What I've done is I've taken all that and integrated it so that everyone is engaged. Uh, you know, yes, you're still going to have the computer hacker doing his hacking scene, and you're still going to have the researcher doing the research scene, but they can tell a story in which the, the, the soccer player turned you know, combat soldier had to help them break into the place to do the research or to do the hacking, and they took out the bad guys real quick, and they can tell their part of the story is how they supported that other thing, and everyone is constantly engaged. So there's that. So you have to take me back. I know you've been playing D&D since 1977. Oh, yeah. When did you decide, you know what? I love playing. 
I want to make this. I want to do this. I want to influence how this community <laughs> goes forward, and that's how I want to spend the rest of my life. When did that click? Well, in 1977, I decided that I wanted to do this kind of stuff. It's, it's a really interesting question because um, I grew up determined to go to West Point. Uh, my grandfather was a war hero. Um, I, uh, even before I found D&D, &D, I, 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 you know, knight in shining armor, King Arthur, Excalibur. And to me, West Point was the modern day Camelot. And I dedicated my entire life to going. Um, but I was also really engaged. I was doing world building. I was tinkering rules. Uh, I was trying to make the game more about epic storytelling and less about killing things and taking their treasure and basically being, you know, rampaging murder hobos. Um, you know, the keep on the borderlands was more important to me than the caves of chaos, and that was like, by the way, one of the first modules ever. And uh, so I spent more time with the keep on the, on the borderlands and the community there, and then the reason to defend that community against the evils around, and just that was sort of always my mindset. So I was always telling the stories. I was always, and, and by the way, I. I didn't find another, you know, you're normally getting gaming by finding people who are playing and you join their group and get to play for the first time. I, I was it. I was the guy other people were learning how to play with. So I taught myself as to be a, a dungeon master. And at that time, basically, I was teaching myself how to, to be a game and story designer as well. But I was still determined I was going to, going to West Point. Nothing was going to sway me. The night I had the paperwork in front of me to accept my appointment to the academy, and you're going to have to forgive me. <clears throat> I always get a little choked up about this one because uh, my father, uh, who didn't uh, really, I mean, you know, he was an older guy, and he didn't really get it entirely, at least I didn't think he did, and he was incredibly proud that I'd gotten accepted, as was you know, everyone in my family and all that, uh, but he pulls out my, he'd found all my folders with my, you know, with maps and dungeons and all the writings and everything, and he said, son, I've been reading this last few days and I know I'm very proud of you you want to go to West Point uh, but you have the opportunity to go to any college I was at the time I was a national merit finalist I had a scholarship to go anywhere I wanted um, are you sure with all this creativity all these storytelling abilities you have are you sure you don't want to go to Yale or Princeton or, or one of those places and I said no dad I want to go to West Point he said well I just want to be sure you know that I would be proud of you no matter what uh, prophetic he was, because uh, West Point didn't work out real well for me, as it turns out. I uh, spent two and a half years there, and the only reason I was there that long is because I never quit or failed anything in my life. Uh, but finally, my grandfather, the war hero, uh, called me up uh, after the last incident of uh, you know the hell I was going through and all the stuff he was hearing. He said, uh, please don't stay anymore. You know, I'm proud of you. Please feel free it to It just go. didn't end up being a, as no. good of a fit as you thought it was? No, and here's the funny thing. Here I am. Uh, I'm at West Point running games. I'm actually running a game I designed at the time and, and a bunch of other stuff. And my friends at West Point are like, "This, you don't need to be here. You need to be writing and designing role-playing games. So everyone was telling me my entire life that I should be. But I'm like, no, that's not responsible. That's not going to be our life. That's not going to be a career. But I knew in my heart of hearts that it's what I wanted to do. So, and I've done every job. I've worked in every field you can imagine. I mean, I've delivered pizzas. I managed 7-Eleven. I've been a police officer. I was an exotic dancer at one time. That's a story all by itself. Um, you know, I've worked for Eastern Airlines. I've done everything. Absolutely friggin' everything. Which, by the way, makes me a better writer, I think. Um, but it I was, certainly does. But I was also writing and data designing stuff. And in, in the mid-'80s, I started submitting some articles and things like that. And then finally, uh, I'm like, all right, I'm going to make a pitch. Uh, and I met up with the Hero Games guys at uh, DragonCon in Atlanta. I helped them set up their booth, and while I was helping them set up their booth, I said, I've got some ideas, and my friends have convinced me that I should try to pitch this to you, and I just happened to make friends with Ray Greer and Bruce Harlick and, you know, the core hero guys, and I made a pitch, and they had to outright deny it, because it was a pitch for something called the Final Reich, and it was going to be this organization book for the modern, you know, super-powered Nazis, and unfortunately, Iron Crown, who was the publisher of Champions at the time, had just pulled Wings of the Valkyrie, which was a, uh, a adventure, that dealt with a superhero going back in time to kill Hitler, but because he killed Hitler in the wrong way, it caused a time. It caused time to go the wrong way, and the world was horrible. And unfortunately, the Jewish Anti-Defamation League found offense with this, and they raised some serious hell about it. And you know, for right or wrong, Iron Crown was not going to deal with it, so they pulled the book. And so the Hero Games was like, "Yeah, we can't touch Nazis right now. You got anything else?" And uh, I just sort of stood there for a second, and I'm like, mm, and. Five, you know, it, it, like a minute, I'm like, oh, you know what? How about a thematic enemies book? And at that point, they had just done enemies collections. 
I said, how about a thematic enemies book? A book about a specific kind or type of enemies. In this case, like high-tech enemies. Because a lot of the guys, I was an Iron Man fan at the time, and I was, I'd done a lot of, you know, uh, robot pilot and power armor guys and high-tech science and digital and all. And I, hey, that sounds like a great idea. So boom, that was, that was my first pitch, and that became high-tech enemies, the first book I published uh, through Iron Crown. And I was never doing it as a living, but I was always doing it as, a as, as an avocation. I was always doing something else because back then you were not paying any bills off of the writing. But I never, I, I, I stayed with it. Uh, I got into the computer games industry for a little while. Um, oh, God, a disaster that was. Um, like programming or writing? Oh, no, no, no. Yeah, and this, I, I can't code for crap. Uh, I'm a writer. You know, that's, I'm a storyteller and a writer. Um, but I, 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 w I was uh, Interplay for a little while. I was actually supposed to be working uh, on a Star Trek adventure game. It was the last Star Trek adventure game that never came out. It was called Vulcan's Forge. They'd already recorded all the, art, you know, the actors' voices for it and everything, and I was supposed to be helping come up with some story stuff. And then some internal craziness happened, and I don't even want to get into it, but I, I had a long and, and weird journey through the computer games industry that finally ended with me just saying I'm done. And... Uh, Came back to the South. Uh, living, I, I grew up in the South, uh, around Atlanta, Georgia, usually or mostly. And uh, uh, that's where I'm from. Oh yeah, yeah. Yes, I, sir. Smyrna. Smyrna. Okay, I'm from Buford. Oh, dude. Hey, how are you, <laughs> homeboy? Although I, I will tell you, I feel like I have escaped the South, and I will never go back. You you based out of here now, right? Yeah, I live how, in Denver. How long have you been in Colorado? Uh, about three years now. Okay, I've been here about four. Yeah, because uh, <laughs> I, I was a guest of honor at Genghis Khan two years ago, or was it three years ago now? Hell, I've lost track. Time, I, time just keeps flying, and I don't know what's going on anymore. But it was it, a, a few years ago, a handful of years ago, and I fell in love with the area, and I really wanted to get out of Alabama because that's where I was living at the time. And, uh, wow, I'm glad we did now. Uh, anyway. Can't say I blame you there. Yeah. Um, and I, yeah, I used to weigh 420 pounds, and I you know, was just in really bad, bad shape. Uh, moving to Denver, uh, you guys can see me. Uh, I'm 268 now. It was really good for me in a lot of ways, um, you know, including getting access to health care. I hope I get to keep it. Um, anyway, sorry, didn't mean to go political. Um, it's okay, it's the first time it's happened today, so you're fine. Oh, yeah, yeah well, yeah. Um, so, um, uh, I love Denver, love being here, incredible gaming community. Um, I'm finally at the point where I'm doing it full-time. Um, you know, yeah. it, it took a while, but, uh, you know, a couple of, good, couple of really good projects that will, you know, get you there. When you're sitting down to write a game or a module, where do you start? Oh, Wow. Okay. Um, it really kind of depends on the need. Uh, most of my stuff is very project-driven, as in we have a need to have a thing. Uh, so I have to figure out what the goal of the thing is. And um, uh, so if I'm doing an adventure, because we, we need, if, if, if usually if you need an adventure, what you need an adventure for, from from my perspective, when I, when I'm doing it, is I'm trying to make sure I'm, 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 I'm enabling the game masters to easily get into the setting, get into the rules that we're, we're producing, and, and, and present a cool experience that the players will really engage with that tells, and then experience shouldn't tell the players something about the setting. It should tell them about, you know, what they're, what they're connecting to. So like, for example, when I was doing the, the various adventures for, uh, for Savage Rifts, you know, uh, I, I would consider the need of, okay, I've got to introduce ideas that are iconic to the setting. Uh, you know, dealing with the coalition, you know, dealing with their hatred of, of dimensional beings or DBs as they're called. You know, dealing with the Federation of Magic and you know, the fact that they're led by a completely insane demon worshiping crazy man and what all that involves and you know, all those different you know interesting elements. So from there, after evaluating the need, uh, then I just find a hook. Um, and uh, sometimes it's just a matter of uh, thinking of a really cool bad guy and what they may be doing, and then just sort of build off of that. So that's oftentimes what I'll do for adventure development. Um, on the bigger scale of uh, you know, you know, doing a setting, um, that's of course a much more involved process. But again, it comes down to the you know what 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 is the goal? What is the des you know the desire here? Well, you know, for Freedom Squadron, it's I want to present the world of Venom Assault, the board game, uh, as a badass action adventure game that you can you know play these 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 very colorful you know action hero soldier types, uh, and you get to you you should feel like you're playing. And a good version of the G.I. Joe universe. And when I say that, not the red laser, blue laser, nobody ever gets hurt, everybody bails out of the plane. I mean, more Warren Ellis, you know, G.I. Joe uh, resolution, I think it was called, or, or uh, I can't, I, was, I forget. But it was, the, it was the Warren Ellis one that actually was uh, uh, sort of an anime flavor. 
and yeah, you know, Snake Eyes was cutting some people on that one. So, uh, you know, so the, the colorful action adventure, you know, you feel like you're in a cool GI Joe movie or television series kind of thing, uh, and I, 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 so I want it to reflect that. So all the design decisions become important to that. So you know, when I decide to import the idea of the iconic framework over into the Freedom Squadron setting, I, I went with what I call vocation framework. And I went to that classic, when you picked up the, 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 the uh, figures, the action figures, and you'd look on the back and you'd see the file cards. And the file cards had the primary military specialty and the secondary military specialties, but it would also talk about you know, all the interesting places that these characters would come from. So I started thinking about you know, the famous G.I. Joe characters, the athlete who became a, so a soldier, you know, the first responder, the, the, the combat medic, the, the guerrilla fighter, the, 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 the naval operations sailor guy. In all these different interesting you know, backgrounds, uh, you know, coming up with you know all that, and then making sure that the player had a really fun way to get to that, and if they chose to do an interesting and odd kind of background, that was going to be just as badass and fun as if I'm just guy with big gun that shoots things. It sounds like Larry Hama might have influenced you a lot. You know, he wrote all of those uh, yep. the cards on the back. Yep. Of, I I read GI Joe since I was a kid. Booyah! Um, so oh, I'm a go big Joe. fan. Yeah, yep. Joe. When, when does this game come out? So, um, <coughs> sorry, you caught me just as no, I was choking myself to death. Yeah. It's, my, it's my fault. Mm. <laughs> sorry about that, folks. So, we're looking for a Kickstarter sometime this year. Uh, I would actually like to do it as soon as possible. Um, I, uh, I'm trying to crank out, because <coughs> I also got uh, Savage Wrist Wave 2, and that's going uh, to be working on it the, later this year. <coughs> actually, I'm working on it right now. Yes, Shane, I'm working on it right now, I promise. So Shane, Shane's actually right over there going into the ele elevator. Um, but um, I'm trying to, I, I would like to kickstart it uh, in the next uh, month or two, if I can. Um, it's going to depend on, on making sure the work is done, making sure the work is where I want it. Um, but yeah, it should be, uh, it, it will be this year, knocking on invisible wood. That's a game that uh, even if you put it in some sort of alpha test form, <coughs> I would love to play it. If anything's going to get me back into tabletop, you, you said the magic word, G.I. Joe. I was like, oh, wait, what? Yeah, are you reading their current IDW runs? No, is it good? Uh, the So they've got different, there's like different realities they're dealing with. They did a, a revolution reality where they tied G.I. Joe to Transformers and Action Man and Micronauts and all that. And it was supposed to be incredible and awesome. It's not. It's really disappointing. Um, but the mainline G.I. Joe line that's just... You know, this is just G.I. Joe in its own universe. Yeah, that stuff's awesome. I've been enjoying that a lot. <clears throat> I really so. like the the Max Brooks. He did a graphic novel, the guy that wrote uh, World War Z. Yeah. He did a standalone G.I. Joe. That's the last thing I've read, but it uh, was fantastic. What was it called? Oh, my gosh. Max Brooks. I'll look it up. Look at Max Brooks, yeah. i, I got to go find that. So if you're interested, and hey, this chance, good chance to give me a pitch, uh, or let me give a pitch. Uh, again, uh, Patreon, uh, if, you're, if you're familiar with what Patreon is, P-A-T-R-E-O-N. No. Right. Did I say that right? Yeah. E yeah, Patreon. Yeah. P-A-T-R-E-O-N, Patreon. A lot, of, a lot of my colleagues are on there, too. It's a really great way to help us, you know, kind of you know, feed the dog and put gas in the car while we're, you know, working on something that you're interested in. Um, so I've got my Patreon going on, and the main thing I'm working on right now is Freedom Squadron there. So if you really want to see the Alpha stuff, I'd say definitely check that out. Obviously, you know, you know drop me a line. I'd be happy to hook you up with a, with a, with a current version and let you take a look at it. And Thank um, you. I'm running it tomorrow morning. Uh, i got a session from 9 to 1 tomorrow. And then, I, I mean, I live here locally, so if you guys are local, uh, I'm doing stuff at uh, Game Stores all the time. Or if you just want to set up a, a, a separate session, we can get together and just play. We'd love to either have you down to play in the cave, or the, the uh, equipment is certainly portable. We're in, we're out of the spring, so we're not too far away. Oh well, actually, I'm a guest at ColdBaldCon uh, coming up, which is a little gaming con going yeah, on down uh, there, March 18th and 19th. I yeah, think. is that the Matt Dawkins one? Yep. We'll actually be there. Oh well, then uh, see if you can set yourself some time, and we'll get a game on. Oh, you can consider it done. Oh, if you want to do a live play, we can even do that. That right. we'd love to do that. Let's let's have a life play. Uh, we, we'd love to do that. Before we let you go today, anything sure. else you want to plug, put um, out there? Tyler will link all of this stuff up, and he's probably doing it now. But oh, okay, um, so Sean's Big of the Day uh, which is just my site where I, I promote primarily game, RPG stuff, but I've also used it to promote good charity uh, things that I believe in, or to just help people out that I know that need help, um, and I also help out promoting people's kickstarters and things like that. I, the point is because of who I am, and because I, you know, I'm out there and I've, I've made a, a fairly large presence and a large voice for myself on social media 
I try to use that not just for my own good, but for everybody else's good too. Because it's kind of a pay it forward thing. People helped me get where I am. People believed in me, supported me. So the way I, I make that right is to help as many people as I can. So SeanPickOfTheDay.com, um, which it, it, it's easy. It's, it's my first name, SPickOfTheDay.com. Um, and then, uh, well, just like I said, I, I pitched the, the Patreon, you know, um, if you're interested in... Uh, uh, and if you're just interested in trying to kind of keep up with me and what's going on, I definitely would recommend following me on Facebook. Uh, I'm very heavily involved there, very active. Dave sees me posting all the time on there, I'm sure. And uh, I was saying you see me post on Facebook all the time. Um, <clears throat> so um, uh, he was listening to, he was jamming to some smooth jazz or something over there. I don't know. I'm thinking Bob Marley, Dave. What were you listening to? <laughs> Ah, okay. Well, yeah. I've never heard of them. And we learned something new about music today. So, uh, anyway, so I'm very active on, on Facebook. I'm, I'm, I'm not the only Sean Patrick Fennon on there, but I'm easily the most, you know, visible and, and findable on there. So, we'll, we'll find you if you get a follow from from Bitface or Eric or Tyler. You'll know where it came from. Please. I really look forward to sitting down with you at, at CobalCon and playing the game. We, sure. We know someone that's running the con and they invited us there. Fantastic. This this makes it even it sweetens yeah. the pot. Yeah. While will. I was here at uh, Genghis Con, they said, "Yeah, we really want you there. We'll hook you up with a hotel room. Uh, please come to uh, have some fun, run some games." I'm like, "Sure, let's go. I love the Springs." Well, yeah, I'm sure between the two of us, we can work out a time where we can sit down. Let's live play. We'd we'd love to do that. That sounds with like you. a plan. It'd, it'd be an honor. Thank you so much for offering. absolutely appreciate. It. Yeah. Thank you, and thank, thank you, you for coming on today. Seriously, sure. make and sure you let me know when this is up. I'll promote it around. Oh, absolutely. we we definitely will. In fact, this will probably go up Wednesday. Would be my guess, depending. What we have to go back and cut six hours oh, yeah. worth of audio today. No worries. Uh, but no, thank you, Sean Patrick Fannin from Evil Evil Beagle Games. That's a mouthful, man. Evil Beagle Games and Pinnacle Entertainment. Thank you so much, dude, for joining us. Seriously. Sure thing, guys. Thank Have you. a good time.